Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Portable Magic Dispenser, a podcast for your school library, public library, whatever. Today I'm going to, um, it's good to start a podcast with whatever, it's a really good attitude, but I'm, I'm just saying it's hopefully it's useful and it can be applied hopefully anywhere. Um, this is something I'm going to talk about that was asked of me by some, um, a few people on Twitter, which is cool. And it's Dungeons and Dragons related, so if this is inter- if it's not of interest to you, just turn this one off. I guess I don't know what to say. Um, I did one. A few, I don't know when it was. Now my brain is mush. Um, I can't believe how fast this week's gone by. So anyway, uh, I've done one a few weeks ago <laughs> that is about making a human fighter in Dungeons and Dragons. And that was kind of like how to make a fighter, how to make a straight-up character like that. I'm going to do a spellcasting um, thing, person, dwarf, dwarf, uh, now, um, which I enjoy doing. I enjoy making the characters. The students enjoy making the characters. So we're going to make a dwarf cleric. So that does a kind of combination of stuff, spells that can help and spells that can damage. So we'll, we'll talk about that. Um, Let's say our dwarf, their name is, let's say, Torga. Her name is Torga, okay? Now, again, just like the human fighter, you're going to do some rolling, okay? Um, You're going to roll a standard six-sided dice. Um, The dice, you are going to roll four of those dice and take the top three and just write them down um, somewhere on a piece of scrap paper, okay? And your cleric, um, the ones that need to be the highest uh, should be wisdom. Uh, I would say wisdom and what's the other one? Constitution. This is great, isn't it? When the guy running the podcast doesn't know, I'm going to keep this in. I'm going to keep this in. Um, yeah, I'm going to say wisdom and... I was right, constitution or strength, whatever you want to do. So first level cleric, make sure wisdom and I would say constitution um, and are the two highest. So you, well, I'll roll some dice and then I'll tell you what I get. Okay, one second. So I rolled a 12. I rolled... Oh, a six I rolled an 18 there's a good one finally Um, (laughs) so there's top three there Um, one second so 18 there um, then I rolled another six which is great and then a 13 and then a nine not great rolls but it doesn't matter because sometimes like I said in the last one Roll, low rolls make it fun. So Torga, I think that was her name. Torga, I'm calling her Torga now. Um, the 18's definitely going to be on wisdom, but we need to make sure we look at um, dwarf uh, traits, stuff that can happen. Um, constitution increases by two. Okay, so which means um, the next highest is 13, which I was going to use for constitution. So that bumps that up to 15. So if you're looking at your character sheet, I'll probably jump straight into spellcasting. If you want to know the intricacies of a character sheet, you can look at the episode entitled that, Building a Character in D&D. It's only a couple of episodes ago. Um, And I think that'll help. So um, Constitution will be 15. 
um, wisdom, 18. And then say charisma, 6. <laughs> dexterity, oh goodness. Let's make uh, dexterity, 12. Give me something for getting into battle here. Um, dexterity, 12. And let's say... Um, oof. We have intelligence has to be six and strength six. No, there wasn't three sixes. Oh gosh, one second. So there we go. So strength nine, dex 12, constitution 15, intelligence six, wisdom 18, charisma six. Uh, Torg is not very charismatic, not very strong, but she's got, she's wise, which will help her with her um, spell casting. So I'm going to jump straight to spellcasting because, as I said, I, I talked about what everything what everything else means. Um, I'll talk about the ability scores that I just rolled in a minute. But at first level, so Torgrid's first level, she knows three cantrips of her choice from the cleric spell list. Now, you can use the player's handbook if you have it to find a list of cleric cantrips, or you can just Google cleric D&D cleric spells, um, the D&D 5e wiki dot website's great that um, has a full list of from all the books so i would recommend that so choose three it's me it, it's me as a um knowing what clerics can do so if you excuse me if you know what clerics can do i'm sure if you don't know i suggest spare the dying <laughs> because what that does is stabilizes um your friends and it's a cantrip Cantrips in D&D just means that these spells are permanently etched into the spellcaster's mind. They don't burn us up a spell slot, which I'll talk in a minute, about in a minute, and they don't have to rest in order to um, recast them. They can cast them over and over on their turn, you know, once per turn or whatever. So keep that in mind. So Spare the Dying, if um, Torga's uh, teammate... Um, what was that guy's name last episode? Blorg or something? If he falls in combat, um, he's rolling death saves, okay? So if you fall to zero and you aren't healed, you have to roll death saves. And what a death save is, um, you roll a d20. If you roll 10 or higher, it's a success. If you roll three successes, so each turn you roll one. If you roll three successes over the course of your turns, you're stable, okay? You're not dying. You're, you're going to live. And what I like to do is roll a D4 dice, triangle-shaped dice, and then whatever number comes up, that's how many hours that character is going to be unconscious for. But if they're rolling failures below 10, and if they roll three failures in total throughout their turns, then in theory, they lose that character forever. That's, a, that's gone. And if they roll a natural 20, they're back up with one hit point. If they roll a 1... A natural one it's uh considered a critical failure so they lose two it's considered two death save failures spare the dying eliminates any of that possibility um they have to be touching so it's a touch spell so the character has to be able to make it over to them and touch the um, the, the, the dying creature and they become stable i still like to make the character roll a d4 to see how many uh, hours they're out for i don't know if that's accurate or not but i like to do that uh, unless they're healed but this is spare the dying and it's really good the other one i like is called the other cantrip i like is called toll the dead and how it works is it takes their action to do it um they can it cast it up to 60 feet six zero feet 
and what happens is that a um, the sound of you know a mournful bell fills the air around one enemy, and that enemy must make a wisdom saving throw. So, what is a wisdom saving throw? So how how we determine Torga's um, wisdom saving throws or spell save um, DC? Let's work that out right now. So a cleric spell save DC or difficulty class is eight plus her proficiency bonus plus uh, her wisdom modifier. Modifier. So the wisdom modifier because she rolled an eighteen is plus four. Proficiency bonus for a level one character is always two. So there's plus four plus two, six. Um, plus eight, so it's fourteen, which is pretty good for a first level character. So what that means is, let's say they've come across, yes, a goblin. Let's say a bandit this time. Torga, the character controlling Torga, says, "I want to cast Toll the Dead on this bandit." Um, the DM, the dungeon master, says to the to the or dungeon master has to say, "Okay." Uh, the sound of a bell fills the air. The bandit covers their ears. Um, they make a wisdom save. They roll a d20 plus the bandit's uh, wisdom modifier. I'm going to look that up right now. <laughs> Should have had that ready, to be perfectly honest. Their wisdom modifier is zero. So they've got a 10 for wisdom score, which is a plus zero. So they roll a straight up d20. So I'm going to do that right now. I think that's quite fun, actually, rolling and see what actually happens. Uh, I rolled a 16. So that means that bandit um, takes no damage because the DC was 14. That's Torga's spell save DC. So if I had rolled uh, under 14, so anything 14 and higher, no problem. If I had rolled under 14, that bandit takes 1d8 necrotic damage, and that just means it's like... Uh, necromancy uh, type damage then Torga, whoever's playing Torga, gets to roll 1d8 and subtract that I would subtract that from the bandits hit points however the spell goes on if the target is already missing any of its hit points it, it takes 1d12 so even more and there's a chance there if that bandit had already been hit before and takes uh, 1d12 that told the dead could kill that bandit because it only has 11 hit points maximum so that's told the dead and again that does not take a spell slot um, they can cast that every time on their turn it's a nice little spell I like that one um, next up if you're looking at the list there's a lot you can do I like I mean thaumaturgy is good it's it's I find it useful so it's an action it goes up to 30 feet it lasts for one minute so what it works is how it works is that um, Torga could um, make their voice three times louder for one minute, or cause um, harmless tremors in the ground, or like make doors open, make windows open, make a gust of wind, um, alter the appearance of her eyes for one minute. Um, uh, she could have up to three of its effects active at one time if they if she just keeps casting. Um, and they can just dismiss it as an action. So you can make flames flicker, brighten dim. It's like an air. It's like an effect, like to make, uh, to trick people, to fool people, to make people think something weird's going on. Um, 
You can make the rumble of thunder, or you can make them hear the cry of a, of a raven, or hear an ominous whisper. I, I really like it. It's cool. I mean, you just look at the look at the cantrip list. Choose your top three. That's what I suggest, and read through them, and then write them on your character sheet, and then write them out somewhere where you can remember what they do. Saves a lot of time. So a cleric, the number of spells that they have available to cast is different from the number of spells they can cast before they need to rest. Hopefully that makes sense. So the number of spells that they have in their brain at level one is their wisdom modifier bonus plus her cleric level. So level is one, of course. The wisdom modifier is five. So at level one, sorry, the wisdom modifier is four. So plus one is five. I'm tired, I'm sorry. Um, so they, they know five spells. But at level one, they can only know first level spells. So hopefully that makes sense. So if you go back to this list and click on, on the wiki dot and click on um, uh, first level spells, there's a big list there. Three, four, five, six, seven, There's about 17 spells. You choose five of them. Again, the ones that I greatly uh, recommend is Cure Wounds. Your party will um, thank you for it. How does Cure Wounds work? Very simple. You have to be touching the person you want to cure, so they have to be close to them. That can be an issue in, in heavy combat. Um, it's instant. Um, so Torga would say, I want to heal Blorg. He's down. He's almost he's dying. Runs over, touches his shoulder. The DM will say, okay, roll a 1d8 plus the, her wisdom modifier. So we know the wisdom modifier is plus four. So rolling a 1d8, I will roll 1d8 right now. And I rolled a seven, not bad. Seven plus four, Blorg has now been healed for 11 hit points. Now, what's important to know, by doing that, um, Torga only has two spell slots Okay. Yes, she knows five spells, but she can only cast twice before she needs a rest. Okay, um, a long rest. So you, she has to keep that in mind. Use your spells wisely. You can use your cantrips without cantrips. Do not um, apply to that rule, but use your <laughs> spells pretty wisely. Okay. So let's look at a couple of their spells that might be useful that I like to do. There's tons, but um, one that is very popular with people I know, uh, the players I know, is uh, Inflict Wounds, because it does a huge amount of damage for a first level spell. Again, you have to be touching them. Um, now, what it, why I want to discuss it is because the Torga would have to make what's called a melee spell attack against the creature. So how do we determine what that is? So what that means is um, you're looking at Torga's spell attack modifier, which is her proficiency bonus plus her wisdom modifier. We know her proficiency bonus is two. Her wisdom modifier is four. So spell attack modifier is going to be six. So if you look at the character sheet, I should say on the last page of the character sheet, you'll see Spell save DC, which is 14 for Torga. Spell attack bonus, which is 6. So the bandit's standing there, still alive, snarling. Um, Torga says, I'm going to cast Cure, uh, sorry, Inflict Wounds. Rushes up, has to be touching, and 
what she does is rolls a d20 and adds six to the roll. I'm going to do that now. D20 plus six for me is going to be 17. The bandit's armor class is 12. So if I'd roll a 12 or higher, it hits. Now, what's cool, so I've hit, but I've burned my last spell slot because I healed Blorg and I've you cast this spell. But the damage on the first level is 3d10, which is huge. So I'm gonna roll 3d10 and um, see how much damage I do. Um, 3d10, one, two, three. And that's going to be 21 points of necrotic damage, which is more than enough for an 11 hit point creature. And dies, and that thing is gone, um, which is good. And when um, we get higher level, you can it goes up. You can you know you can go way up to um, you know different D10. So you can go up four or five, six D10. So you kind of have to look at each spell individually that you choose, and then work out if it um, makes the monster make a saving throw, which in that case it would be the spell save DC. Or is it a spell attack, which would be the spell attack bonus, which for Torger would be six. So there's just a few things you need to look at. Um, I'm just trying to think of other popular spells. Guiding Bolt, very popular. That's another, that's 4d6 damage. That would be, and the good thing about that is uh, different than um, uh, Inflict Wounds is that Guiding Bolt is 120 feet um, range, so they can kind of stand back and just blast that as long as they have a a, uh, a spell slot to do so. So you've got your spells, you're ready to go, really. Um, I can go through the other things. So Dexterity for Torga is 12, therefore they're... Um, initiative is plus one now that means is when you get into combat so you got that bandit in front of you we got the com uh, into combat the dm rolls um a dice to see when the bandit goes and it's a d20 plus their dexterity bonus so for a bandit it would be plus one same for torga so you roll uh so for i'll roll for uh for the bandit d20 plus one Bandit gets a 17. Torga gets a, let's see, an 11. Uh, so obviously the bandit goes first. That's all that is. That's all that you just add your roll of straight up d20 and you're done. Um, for a cleric, they get to choose between, um, let's see, history, insight, medicine, persuasion, or religion for their skills they could choose two from those and then what they do is they add their uh their proficiency bonus um plus whatever uh bonus or thing so if they chose let's say history and insight you see that history takes um intelligence which maybe is not a smart move for torga because their intelligence is six which is a minus two <laughs> So it evens out because it'd be minus two plus a proficiency bonus, which is plus two. So it'd be zero. Okay. Hopefully that makes sense. Um, it depends on their weapons and stuff as well. But if, again, I, I feel like I'm reinventing the wheel a little bit because 
they um, I've gone over all of this stuff in the uh, in the other episode about how to calculate the saving throws, the um, speed, the hit points, etc. So if you're looking at a dwarf, speed is 25 feet. Um, you can look at age. They have advantage on saving throws against poison, which all that means is that for dwarf, um, if you're playing a dwarf or if you're a DM and you are, they step on a, a pressure plate in a dungeon and a blast of poison comes out. Um, you say make a constitution saving throw uh, to see if they get poisoned. They have advantage, so that means is they roll two d20s. Um, so it would be like, and they choose the highest. So I, I rolled a 10 and an 11, so I would choose the 11 plus their constitution bonus, which would be um, uh, plus two. So that's how that works. So it would be um, the d20 plus two, just have advantage. And they have resistance to poison damage, which just means if they do take poison damage, Resistance means they always cut that poison in half because they're a dwarf. Um, what else do they do? They can uh, languages. They are they read, write common and dwarvish. Um, if they come across something that's written in dwarvish and no one else can read it, they can read it. The DM can tell them, slip them a piece of paper, or tell them outright what they uh, what they want. So if they're choosing. Um, they also can choose sub races, so there's mountain dwarf, um, which I forgot to do. So if you choose mountain dwarf, then um, their strength score increases by two, which is good. That means the strength goes up from nine to eleven, which is great because it means it goes from minus one to zero. The bonus. Hopefully that's straightforward. So. <laughs> um, I really wanted to concentrate on the spell aspect. It's pretty straightforward, actually. Once you know your spell save DC and your spell attack bonus. But I think for the student's perspective, for me in the library, that, that does create some confusion. You know, how do I calculate my, my spell save DC and my bonus? And how many spells can I cast, etc.? I just did cleric, it depends. So wizard, they get six spells to begin with and some cantrips. Um, there's warlock, there's all kinds. So you have bard, of course, and, and tons of different ones. So um, I could do another one later. I mean, that's pretty basic, but um, that's an essential kind of um uh quick guide to spell casting uh the thing is to remember that a long rest um that they need to get their spell slots um, back is going to be um eight hours so that needs to be downtime of eight hours uh during which a character can sleep for at least six and perform no more than two hours of light activity which includes being on watch. So if the rest is interrupted by strenuous activity, um, like an hour of something else, something that they have to do adventuring-wise, they, they don't get the benefit of it. And they can't take too long rests in a 24-hour period. So your character, if you're a DM and your characters have had a long rest and gone in battle, keeping in mind that a battle is very quick. So every round of a battle is only six seconds. And if after they do one battle, and you've kind of calculated roughly how many rounds, a round is just everyone's had a turn, and it's added up to maybe a minute long, and they're pretty damaged, they can't go, oh, I'm going to take another long rest. I mean, you could if you're being very generous, but 
really you should, it's fun it's fun and they will learn to um understand that it is more fun the you know it's not always fun to win everything they they will want to but taking constant long rest is not allowed um this is a like pretty strict rule and i like to i like to stick by i like to make them try to work out what to do and they can they can go like they can say to you well i'm just going to sit here I'm just going to sit, stand, and wait till I'm allowed to take a long rest. Well, that you can do that, but you don't know what's going to come around the corner in that <laughs> long time that you're just standing there doing nothing. So they have to keep that in mind as well. Um, I hope that was useful. <laughs> I don't know if it is, but that's another D and D type one, and I'll talk to you next week. <laughs> Thanks. Bye.